Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And welcome to Safety Wars from the border of liberty and prosperity and the highway to the north. Yeah, it's us. Wednesday, April 19th, 2023. Hope you had a great, safe day. Winter has returned to New Jersey and New York. It's freaking cold today. I know Jay Allen there, the great safety mystic Jay Allen, is probably laughing at me right now. Come join our happiness down in Florida with the warm weather was hellish today. So, I was doing a uh, excavation class today. I excavation competent person. So we get there. It turns out that the client wants us all to do the class outside. So it was not a very pleasant experience, but hey, I roll with the punches here. As always. So, what do you think we're going to talk about today here on Safety Wars? Any guess? If we, uh, oh, we're going to talk about excavation safety real quick. And that's what we're going to kick off the hour with. So, let's just go to it. And... Hold on, I lost my page here. Okay, here we go. All right, so, uh, now there, up here, especially in the Northeast, everyone's talking about excavations because there was a fatality, uh, two fatalities about two weeks ago on an excavation. So everywhere where I go, every project I go to, everybody I talk to, they're talking about excavation safety. There is a huge stand down with a couple of uh, unions in New York City that deal with uh, excavations. Uh, I was contacted and, hey, Jimmy, can you do an excavation safety course? Or can you, uh, you know, do that? Now, of course, we do that. And you can have our uh Courses also, 845-269-5772 or jim at safetywars.com. So this was a PSA that was recently issued by OSHA. I'm just going to run with it. The United States Department of Labor is committed to the safety of American workers. If you work around trenches or excavations, here are five things you should know to stay safe. Ensure that there is a safe way to enter and exit. Trenches must have cave-in protection. Keep materials away from the edge of the trench. 
Look for standing water or other hazards. Never enter a trench unless it is properly inspected. These safety tips can save lives, including yours. To report an unsafe trench, call 1-800-321-6742. For more information on trench safety, visit OSHA.gov. This is a message from the United States Department of Labor. So that was a recently issued PSA on trenches. Uh, that number was 1-800-321-OSHA to report about an unsafe trench. So how many people are killed in a trench a year? At least what's reported. And those are people who are included under OSHA regulations. We're not talking independent contractors uh, and some of the other uh, things out there that may not fall under OSHA. About anywhere from 17 to 35 over the last 25 years or so. So this is uh, usually... How many are hurt? I'm not exactly sure, but I tell you what, uh, that's enough of a problem in my book to warrant an emphasis, especially when you have a moment of high impact, especially where actually there were two stories the last month and a half on excavations and uh, what the legal issues were and everything else. Now, if you're going to be working in a state like New York, right, where I'm from, New York State, this is an issue here with uh, excavations or with the competent persons not doing their jobs, or there is a perception of companies not doing their jobs, where this uh, often escalates into a criminal matter. Now in New York, we have Carlos's Law. I've talked about it here. And all different types of criminal... Oh, we have lights flickering here. Uh and this becomes an issue. So what, when do we need to worry about this? So I'm just going right off of the OSHA fact sheet here. And what, out of what, kind of, what kind of hazard is a trench collapse? That's a caught-in-between hazard, usually. right? So trench collapses that work havens pose the greatest threat, greatest risk to workers' lives. When done safely, trenching operations can reduce worker exposure to other potential hazards, including falls, falling loads, hazardous atmospheres, and incidents involving mobile equipment. And we're talking about the 1926, uh, 651, and 652 here. Now, the focus, like with all construction regulations, is this, the competent person. So as a review, what's a competent person? A OSHA competent person is someone who has the ability to assess a hazard and correct a hazard. We're not talking about no, uh, someone with an engineering degree necessarily, even though that could be a person, or even someone with a safety uh, degree or background. Just the knowledge on how about excavations, what the safety issues are, and how to correct them. I was on a job many years ago uh, with a, uh, for a company that no longer exists, uh, Envirogenics. My, one of my mentors there, one of the owners, uh, Jeff Olcott, both of them were mentors, Bob Kredvick's great guy, uh, working out of Colorado, I believe. And Jeff Olcott, uh, who uh, pa- uh, passed away a number of years ago, they sent me out on a job with a company that you, you've you heard of. If you're from the New York, New Jersey area, you've heard of this company. 
And as an excavation competent person, I get out there and they were doing an excavation inside of a hazardous waste site with contaminated soil. They needed a forecast monitor, no uh, oxygen, LEL, actually it was three gases in those days, oxygen, LEL, and H2S monitoring. That's how far back the forecast monitors weren't even around. Three gas monitors were. Well, they were around, but they were a lot more money. Now we have five gas, and we were had at a photoionization detector, also known as an HNU. And for your old timers there, everybody else has to Google this. The HNU is a photoionization detector that came in two parts. You had a probe with the ultraviolet lamp in it, and then you had a reader where you plugged into. I go out there, and I'll be honest, that company did not want any safety person out there. They just wanted to go, go, go. Uh, and I was primarily out there for air monitoring and confident person duties. So I go out there, I take readings, I try to take readings. I'm like, this thing ain't freaking working. Turns out that the site manager had broken the plug. All the little uh, connectors in there and plugging things all destroyed. So now, can I do my job? Can I assess hazards? Not when it comes to air monitoring, and that was one of the reasons why we're doing with that piece of equipment. Take note that if anything shows up on the three gas monitor, it's probably too late with the PELs. You're probably over, way over PEL, probably way over an IDLH, immediately dangerous life and health concentration, depending on what you're dealing with. So... Now, okay, I called my boss and says, look, just don't worry about that. That's what the way things are. It's just a, it's just a uh, formality here. There's nothing out there, but they just know this is what the specs are. As long as you have the forecast monitor, you're not going to hit anything with the photoionization detectors. However, if you see anything weird, stop the job. So you start going on, guess what? I have to stop the job. Guy says, uh, the uh, site super says to me, we're not stopping the job for shit. I said, well, got to stop the job and fix this excavation, blah, blah, blah. Now, here's the question. At that point, am I the competent person? Call up the boss again. Remember, no cell phones. Everything was on landlines. He says, well, I guess you're going to be hanging out all day. You're not, obviously not the confident person there, but they're paying us for that. And they seem to, he said, I already had a talk with them. They're, you know, we're getting paid for the day, just hang out. So I was not the confident person because I did not have the authority to stop work. I did not have the authority to correct the hazard or anything else. And this is the way, way it came out to me. So, so, a competent person has to have through knowledge, training, education, and everything else has to have that knowledge on how to assess the hazard. But that's not enough. You have to have the authority to correct the hazard. And this is one of those things that, uh, one of those uh, laws that they really do rely on the competent person to go out there and work and to do this. Uh, no, to do this. Uh, now, all construction regulations and sites require inspections uh, and other things done by a competent person. 
So what are you looking for with this regulation? So trenches five feet deep or greater require a protective system unless the excavation is made entirely of stable rock. If less than five feet deep, a competent person may de- determine that a protective system is not required. If you have something 20 feet or deeper, it has to be, uh, the protective system has to be designed by a registered professional engineer in that state. That's the important thing, in that state. So if you're working in Pennsylvania, for example, and you're, engineer is from New Jersey, you're going to have to get an engineer from Pennsylvania to sign off on this uh, and do design work and everything else that's required for an excavation. So prior to, and this is a question that always comes up and people get real pissed off at me, but oh well, this is what, what it is. Confident person has to be able to do an inspection all the time, every day, and as conditions change if it's necessary. The question comes up, Jimmy, does that inspection have to be in writing? The question, and that's a damn good question. The reality is this. Does the regulation or most regulations, except for the confined space entry regulation under the form of a permit, right? do not require something in writing in the regulation until there's a problem. If there's a problem, a accident investigator like me, OSHA compliance officer, one of the first four questions, five questions is going to be, where's that checklist? We had situations. No, did you do the inspection? Yes. Where's your checklist? You don't want to be on the, uh, I don't have one end of this, especially in a major disaster, someone gets hurt, there's a catastrophic loss, catastrophic injury, something like that, you're not going to be thinking about checklists, right? You're going to be thinking about that, and they're going to ask, sorry guys, they're going to ask, pardon me, forgot to turn off the phone, they're going to ask, whether or not you uh, have that checklist, you don't have it, you know it's a bad thing because you have no way of proving you did the actual inspection. Do you have an app? Do you have a photo? In lieu of any of this, I make sure it's on a log book or in an email now. Now we have email. Hey, I did the inspection on X, Y, and Z, and all to check that okay. Send, even if it's just myself. I have it in writing somewhere that that was done. Well, the checklist, can a checklist save you from anything other than maybe some liability? The answer is no. It's the thought that goes into that. You have checklists. People, what do they do? They say, oh, yeah, we're going to get the checklist. We're going to pencil with the checklist. What do you think happens? No thought ever goes into that. So... Uh, that's what comes down to. Uh, in a related incident, we had a guy get hurt. Uh, he was having a, uh, he had some type of a seizure and fell and hurt himself. It was a medical issue. This guy's on the ground having a seizure, frothing out of the mouth, right? And I make sure, I, what's the safety guy yelling at? 
me. Make sure that he gets a, a drug and alcohol test. And I'm like, dude, he's having a seizure. I think we should get an ambulance first and like do the first aid thing um, for like a seizure. I'm not going to be worried about a drug and alcohol test where you have, I, we don't know what the hell's wrong with the guy. So, you know, 911 had already been, uh, uh, had already been uh, contacted, but it was like, really? You're worried about that? You're worried about another instance? Somebody got hurt? The ambulance is on his way. Well, where's that checklist? Where? And it's like, dude, come on. You know, that's basically what it comes down to. You have to guarantee, if you're a confident person, access and egress for that, right? You have to keep heavy equipment away from the trench edges, identify other sources that might affect trench stability, and keep excavated soil boils, according to the regulation, at least two feet back from the trench edges. I recommend at least two-thirds of the depth of what the excavation is back. Why? Because that's where fissures could occur. It's up to two-thirds of the distance back from the edge. That's what I've read. That's what my experience is. So if you're dealing with a 10-foot deep trench, you would keep the spoils like six feet, seven foot, or more away from the edge of the trench. Uh, you have, Give yourself a little bit of a safety margin with that too. And that's debatable, but you know, you're giving yourself a little bit of a safety margin. Know where underground utilities are located before digging. That's that 811 system. Whatever, you know, you call them up. Hey, is it going to be there? Now, when the guy, when the usually when the person comes out there and marks them out, you come out there, what do you do? You get this. It's called a smartphone, and you take a picture of where the markouts are versus where you are digging. Why? I've seen my experience is that they've been off by more than three feet sometimes. The other thing is this. If, you're, uh, if your company is installing this stuff, like you're a plumbing company, uh, an electrical company, a uh, utility company, they're installing this stuff. The mar- when you call for the 811 mark out, chances are they're not even going to know where those are because the plans haven't been updated. So that's coming on you on site to go and make sure. And the other thing is this. When they do the markouts, go and look around because they have been known to make mistakes just to back yourself up with this. You have to test for atmospheric hazards such as oxygen, 20.9%. Hazard, and this is what drives me nuts. Hazardous fumes. Okay. It should be hazardous gases, right? And toxic, toxic gases. Inspect trenches at the end, at the start of each shift. Inspect trenches following a rainstorm or other water intrusion. Do not work under suspended or raised loads and materials. One of the most famous uh, photos in all these safety uh, training for excavations is that you have a person inside an excavation and there is an excavator on top of the excavation, directly on top of them. And of course, no shoring, no nothing. We'll talk about protective systems. All right. Ensure that personnel wear high-vis or other suitable clothing when exposed to vehicular traffic. This is for your flag people. Right? And inspect the trenches after any occurrence that could have changed conditions. We're talking vibrations and even everything that goes on a construction site. Everything out there. 
hold on, I'm checking on time. For whatever reason. Okay. Again, I have no engineer here. It's all me. It's all me. So you have a many, several different types of protective systems. Basically, you have benching, which means that you have to go and determine what type of soil that you have. Is it stable rock? Is, right, well, uh, so about stable rock, do you have type A soil or type B soil or type C? If it's type C soil, you're not allowed to bench. If it's type A or B soil, you're allowed to bench. Or it can be a slope. So what does that mean? So for benching, you're going to have one up and over, up and over, right? That's a benching situation. The slope is a slope. Why now as for soil types, what are we talking about? Type A soil is more or less like clay, has a compressive strength of 1.5 tons per square foot or more. Type B soil is more like a silty clay loam, what they call, uh, where you put it in your house in your house, in your hand, and you cannot make a ribbon with it. That type of soil is type B soil. Where you can, it's just like a little bit sticking together. And then you have type C, which is unconsolidated like sand. It doesn't hold any form at all. How, and you could determine that just by looking at it with some certitude. Another way you can do it is through a, uh, your finger. You put your finger in, right? Steady level, right? And it doesn't go through at all. Type A, it goes through a little bit. Type B goes right through. Right, as you sink your finger right through it, type C. I prefer what is called a pocket penetrometer, which is like a, uh, I don't have one here, should have brought it in from the car, from the training class, but basically where you're able to determine that exactly how, what, uh, what, is, what you're doing with your, I actually get a pretty good exact, pretty good exact number, close to exact number. So you determine A, B, C, soil or stable rock. But remember, your activities may cause that to now become one type of soil into another, and there may be several different types of soil in that, in that excavation, depending on what depth you're in. And let's say you're dealing with stable rock, and now you're blowing it apart with explosives or something like that. Now you may have an unconsolidated material and you need to treat it as a type C. This is what the confident person is there to do. Sloping involved. So what do you have for uh, the angles here? And let's see if I don't want to do them from memory. Let me get the uh, exact numbers here because I don't want to confuse people. Bear with me a second. I had it right here. So if you go into the appendix B of 1926 point, uh, subpart P, 1926 subpart P, you're going to find all of the allowable uh, slopes on here. So for type A soil, 
you're allowed to have a slope of 53 degrees, which is though for rise over run for every three quarter foot of rise, right? You have one foot of run, right? Right. Rise over run. I'm sorry. They have it reversed here in the here. Everyone else does rise over run. OSHA does, uh, something, uh, no run over rise. So for every three quarters of a foot horizontal, you have one foot vertical and type B soil is going to be 45 degree angle one to one and type a soil is going to be, uh, for every one, one foot up one and a half feet across right? 34 degrees. So type a 53 degrees type two type B 45 degrees Type C, 34 degrees, stable rock. You can go vertical at uh, uh, 90 degrees. So, and there are other notes in here. Go and look it up. It's very uh, 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 detailed here, the excavation standard. The next uh, thing you could do is some type of a shielding. So that all, depending on what you have, it's going to be a trench box. It's going to be hydraulic shoring. It could be timber shoring. And what's appropriate? Uh, hydro, no, let's start out with a trench box. That's a fixed shielding system, right? It's all fixed. Hydraulic shoring, you can expand it or make whatever size you want. The, but in accordance to manufacturer's requirements, the other one is the uh, timber shoring. When I when I hear timber shoring, now like my ears go up here, right? I start to get very concerned, and it's like, well, why do you get concerned, Jim? Uh, well, with the with the uh, sh- uh, shielding or with the timber timber shoring here. I'm expecting to see quarter-inch plywood with four-by-fours or two-by-fours nailed together with quarter-inch uh, plywood, and they put it in, and they just jam it in there, not even nailed in or anything. OSHA hat, that, that people say, well, timber shoring, I haven't seen that. If you're working for, like, a long-term situation with an open trench, uh, maybe with an open trench, timber shoring may be used. Also in the chemical industry, oil refining industry, oil terminals, where you have all different types of uh, uh, situations with underground utilities and pipelines, timber shoring may be used exclusively. The other thing is, and I'm not being, I'm a little bit jaded here, is if you have a very strong carpenters union, they may really be advocating for timber shoring because they're going to be building it. And typically, timber shoring starts with two by sixes, right? Two inches by six inch or three inches by six or 12, something substantial, not your little plywood, for example. And you would use uh, six by six, you would use whalers, you'd use cross arms. So it's the whalers, they go on side of the, yeah, I'll use my magazine here. So this would be the side of the timber shoring and you would have whalers going down here and you would also have uh, cross braces over here and over here right to usually two levels but remember all of this is being done either uh, uh, designed by either an engineer 
or a competent person for a simple setup. You might have some type of timber shoring. It's all in the OSHA regulations, what the appropriate thing to do is with that. And that's the whole idea with excavations. One, competent person. Two, cave-ins. This is you got to worry about. Three, assess the soil type. Four, what kind of protective system? The other thing is this. People often forget ladders. You have to have a point of egress uh, within 25 foot of every worker there. Usually a ladder. Can it be a ramp? Absolutely could be a ramp. You need somebody to go out there and figure that out. And you can hire us at 845-269-5772 to do that. So uh, we're going to take a brief uh, commercial break here. And we'll come back to you. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. And we're back. OSHA recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Pozel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. Yes, Jessica, I am your father. Speaking of that, I uh, was uh, watching The Mandalorian last night. Uh, or actually this morning it came out. Well, uh, pretty good, Pretty good flick there. Uh, on here. So. Hold on. Bear with me here. So we're going to do the intro again here hold on hi this is jim from safety wars before we start the program i want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about osha and epa citations along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies legal cases and criminal activity everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law proposed fines are exactly that and they are often litigated reduced or vacated we use available public records news accounts and press releases we cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share since we are not directly involved 
well with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Okay, and we are back here. We are, is Wednesday, April 19th, um, 2023. It's roughly 32 minutes after the hour, from wherever you're at. So, uh, okay, my recording program for the first half did not record. So I'm a slightly annoyed. We're going to go right back into uh, the news. Hard Rock Builders commit to workers' safety. This is from Rockford, Illinois. Hard Rock Casino Rockford construction is on a roll. More than 1,200 tradespeople are signed on to build the future Forest City hotspot. To ensure their safety, Brent Johnson with Ringland Johnson Construction signed on to a strategic partnership with both OSHA's federal and state offices as well as the Mid-America Carpenters Regional Council. We're going to say very fast, and we want those workers to come home safely, said Johnson. That's a paraphrase, not a, not a direct, of, direct quote. And this is what piqued my interest with this story. This is a quote by Eric Camarian, chief of Illinois OSHA. Safety is not the absence of accidents. It's the capacity to fail safely. Hmm. Where have you heard that before? So building defenses into your program, assuming that something is going to happen. Well, that's actually pretty good, right? A few of the key parts of the agreement include a SHMS, Cyber Health, Health Management System, a collaborative process to find and fix hazards on the site. Supervisors will also be required to earn a 30-hour OSHA outreach card. In construction, I'm adding that. Workers will need a 10-hour construction outreach training card. Uh, you know where you can get those, 845-269-5772. I will do your training for you if you're interested, if you're required. We'll make it exciting. This is a uh, story. Uh, Amazon on target to meet worker safety federal subpoena deadline. The DOJ is requesting 230,000, uh, 233,000 Amazon documents. And Amazon.com services is obeying federal government subpoenas to turn over tens of thousands of documents related to workers' safety, according to the attorneys for the company and the U.S. Department of Justice. So they've been involved in a boatload of, uh, a boatload of uh, uh, issues, especially with the COVID stuff and some of the other OSHA stuff. Uh, now, since COVID. So this is an update. This one uh, just showed up on my feed today, but this has gone on for over two weeks now. Dollar General, we understand with Dollar General, over $16 million in uh, proposed penalties since 2017. And they all get litigated and negotiated downward and everything. So who knows? Uh, where this is going. Dollar General is in settlement talks with federal regulations, uh, regulators, after the discount retailer was labeled a severe violator of workplace safety rules, according to a spokesperson for the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Spokesperson said the mandatory settlement proceedings before the agency's review commission would occur pursuant to commission r rules. OSHA is part of the 
the Department of Labor. Dollar General did not comment directly on the settlement talks. And, uh, right, this was uh, Dollar General's sports uh, spokesperson. We read, quote, we regularly review and refine our safety programs and reinforce them through training, ongoing communication, recognition, and accountability. When we learn of situations where we have failed to live up to this commitment, we were to address the issue and to ensure and ensure the company's expectations regarding safety are clearly communicated, understood, and implemented. So what, what are most of these things that come out with, uh, by the way, they've been thrown on the severe fi- uh, violator enforcement program, which, uh, so most of the ha- hazards that are being cited on are for what? They're for uh, uh, blocked exits, fire exits and regular exits, locked electrical panels, uh, improperly stacked equipment and everything else. With the number of, uh, with the number of stores that they have and f- other facilities, uh, that the fact that they had two hundred. This is like uh, two hundred different visits. This is actually a, you know, this is actually a, th- a thing, and nobody's gotten hurt, which comes up to our whole thing. A lot of times companies refuse to have safety programs because they say, hey, uh, no one's ever gotten hurt, so therefore we have a safe environment. Is that correct? We're safe because nobody ever gets hurt. More accurately, nobody reports getting hurt because they don't want to be the first. That's uh, is often the case. So it's really nice for me, let me repeat myself, uh, for human organizational performance becoming more mainstream, like Jay Allen uh, likes to say. So, uh, okay, here's from Occupational Safety and Health Online, understanding the true costs of a poor workplace safety culture. There's no denying that a workplace safety, this is a story by Rupert Jones. Uh, um, um, there was an 8.9% increase in workplace uh, fatal workplace injuries in 2020 uh, in uh, 2021 versus 2022. We're using the old numbers here. We got newer numbers in this, uh, right? So 80% of employers in a survey stated that they wanted to focus on implementing uh, better health and safety protocols in 2021. If you look at this positively, it means that employers are willing to improve their safety cultures. I don't know if they know exactly what that means, most companies. Most companies, I'm going to say, don't know what that means. Yeah, we want to be work safer. Obviously, it's good for the bottom line, moral hazard, environmental social governance, uh, things of that nature. But in reality, is uh, what does that mean? We want to improve our culture. 
Do they really want to improve their culture? Now, if you're not going to get the C-suite in there to help you and say, look, this is what we're going to do. Do blah, blah, blah. We're going to do X, Y, and Z and everything else. That's great. The problem here is this. A lot of companies say we want to do safety and they hire a safety professional. Okay, now we're safe. We have a safety professional. Okay, does that safety professional have anything to do with the hiring, firing, disciplining, managing workers? Chances are no. So exactly what, what the hell you're supposed to do. That's my question. I, I know one of my clients that I had uh, for 13 years, I was given that authority to discipline and discipline employees. Suspend them for a couple of days. They held ultimate authority for firing. But guess what? We changed that corporate culture around overnight. Not if I fear. We didn't rule by fear. That, we don't do that. But we, however, we do right, uh, do our jobs. Hey, guys, you coach. You mentor. You show some leadership. Every once in a while, yeah, do we have to use the stick? Yeah, we have to use the stick sometimes. right? And you're going to say, well, Jim, shouldn't you be sending up controls and everything? Yeah, we did, did all that. But what do you, it, safety has its limits. There's a point where safety is no longer a safety issue, where it's an HR issue. Right? We're not getting rid of HR if we're going to be practice hop. Human and organizational performance. You actually have to go in there and, hey, sometimes you got to be use the stick. You're going to use the proper PPE or there's going to be a problem. You are going to have to do the job hazard analysis for the job as required by your job description and by client requirements, period. This is the way it is. No, we're doing safety and everything. No, uh, Sam Goodman always talks about, you know, doing, no, doing safety with all this stuff and then working safely, two different things. So often they are. However, you have to put in a system that people can comply with, that's easy to comply with, that's consistent, and everything else that goes into it. That's, uh, no, uh, that's, that's what the reality uh, is here. Uh, you know, you know, Pain and, and this, you know, we have to do a better job because this is what it is. We're all, we are report, you know, consistently, especially in the construction and environmental cleanup industry, we're consistently the most hated uh, type of worker is the safety person. So we have to go and step up our game. And the other thing is this: we're being replaced by computers. Well, a lot of what we do, we're being replaced by computers. How do you know? You can enter in. You go into chat pro, uh, the chat thing, right, that we talked about last week. You go in there, you say, I want a safety meeting on this, and they'll give you a safety meeting on that. That may not be right, but they'll give you a safety meeting on it. Online platforms replacing us. All this stuff going on pretty soon. I tell you what, it's going to be like in the movies where you have AI do safety investigations. Wait until that happens. We don't need your stinking safety professional. We can have AI do everything. 
It's an issue. Whole Foods closed the San Francisco flagship store after one year, citing workers' safety. An enormous Whole Foods in downtown San Francisco that opened just last year is temporarily closing. The company said concerns about workers' safety forced it to shut down. Incidents of theft in San Francisco have gained national attention, though crime has generally fallen over the past six years. Nearly 65,000 square foot location at Trinity Place in the city's mid-market neighborhood shut its doors on Monday to ensure the safety of its employees, a Whole Foods spokesman said. Although Whole Foods did not share any uh, additional information on the conditions that led to the store closing, the spokesperson added that it was a difficult decision to close Trinity store for the time being. Uh, way it is. I mean, you know, that's what's going on out there, everybody. Amazon's workers' safety hazards come under fire from regulators and the DOJ. So, uh, for years, Amazon warehouse staffers have complained about unsafe working conditions and the injury risks they face from rushing to fill packages and get them to customers in two days or less. While Amazon claims its injury rate is coming down, facility-level data released last month from the U.S. Department of Labor's OSHA underscores worker concerns showing that in 2022, Amazon laborers were injured at a rate of 6.9 for every 100. And they, uh, January, OSHA investigators cited Amazon for failing to keep workers safe. So uh, Amazon's injury rate is almost 1.5 times the injury at the industry average. So I used to work in a warehouse. I can tell you how unsafe they are. Right? I worked for three summers, worked my way through uh, uh, undergrad school, working in a warehouse. I got hurt all three summers. Yes, it's true. Now I'm a certified savior professional. Oh, uh, right. This is from Yahoo Finance from the Associated Press. Reports Tesla factory where worker died has safety weaknesses. This is out of Shanghai. I tell you what, uh, based on, I believe it was Jay Allen had an interview from somebody a couple of years ago who was a safety professional in China. You had, you, yeah. Oh, I tell you what, you're, you're, you're not liked by the Chinese government. You're on their Guvno list. Guess what? Someone gets killed, you got a problem. <laughs> right? Government inspectors concluded Tesla's incorporated Shanghai factory where an employee died in a February 4th accident has weaknesses in its safety measures. The Emergency uh, Bureau of Shanghai's Pudong District recommended an unspecified penalty for Tesla, the Business News Magazine, Cakeson, and other outlets reported. They cited a copy of the report posted on a city government website. Uh, da, da, da. The investigation concluded the Tesla employee who died failed to follow rules. Again, blame the worker, right? Didn't lock a safety gate. Again, Blame the worker, according to news reports. They said another employee failed to make sure the area was clear of people before turning on equipment that crushed a 31-year-old employee. Again, blame the worker for everything. Yeah, see <laughs> see how that works. So here we have a 
story from San Antonio, uh, Texas. This is from KSAT.com. Story by... Not named. All right. Uh, construction workers then and another is hospitalized after both of them were hit by a large steel pipe that fell off an 18-wheeler. This has happened. I've investigated a couple of these incidents over the years uh, with us. Uh, it was a story by Cody King and Katrina Weber. So unloading a truck, you got to make sure everything's secure on that truck. You have to make sure you do not caught get caught between the truck and the machinery unloading the truck. And if you're using the proper machinery, are you using a crane? Are you using a forklift? With a pipe, you're probably going to be using a Class 7 forklift, a.k.a. lull, with a jib attachment with slings on it to unload pipe. That's usually what it is. Uh, what happens is often when you're on, uh, with pipes and other rolling stock, let's say fabric, people have a tendency of rolling them onto the forks. I'm not saying that's what happened here. I wasn't there. But that's what we see is people just rolling the pipes onto forks and not having them secure. And guess what? These pipes are big. People lose control. They get themselves into a caught-in-between situation between the jib or the machinery and the pipe, and snap, they get killed. Classic caught-between situation here. Uh, It's a horrible type of situation. Death on the job, the toll of neglect in 2022. This is from AFL-CIO. The 2022 edition of Death on the Job, the Toll of Neglect, March the 31st year, the AFLCO has produced a report on the state of safety uh, here. It includes all different types of stuff. This is more of an adver, uh, uh, advertisement here, but what do you have uh, here? In the summary. The Occupational Safety and Health Act, promising every worker the right to a safe job, has been in effect for more than 50 years and has reportedly saved 647,000 workers from you know, since the passage of the OSH Act. Now, you wonder why we have a safety war? That's 674,000 workers. That's almost as much, uh, if memory serves you right, as the American Civil War. Uh, the number of people died in the American Civil War. So let's see. Number of people killed in American Civil War. 620,000, they think. So this is more than what died in the Civil War. Okay, over a longer period of time, but still. The American Civil War was considered the bloody co- bloodiest conflict ever fought uh, at it in its time. So, again, that's good, right, uh, that we're making progress. But more progress needs to be made, and with your help, we'll get there. With everyone's working together, we'll get there. So, uh, all different types of statistics here. You know, this is probably worth uh, bookmarking and uh, put it in a course somewhere. Oh, hey, I agree with some things with the AFLCA. I don't agree with some things. No, that's just the way it is. 51 minutes into this. 
Have you heard about this? The deadly fungal infection in Michigan paper mill prompts call for industry action. The United Steelworkers is calling on the paper industry to protect its workers against fungal infections, one of, one of which has proved deadly. And this is a worker one, uh, an impact in the workplace. And a, a, uh, United Steelworkers issued a statement on April 15th after blastomyosis caused one worker death and more than 90 cases of sickness in Escanda, Michigan. Uh, the paper mill will close for up to three weeks for cleaning. This is one of the things with any of these fungal infections. Your body has a hard time, very difficult time fighting them off. So uh, there's very difficult to treat them because we all evolved from fungi, according to uh, Paul Stamets, not uh, on Star Trek, well, even though it was named after him, but the world-renowned uh, mycologist. Florida bill on preventing uh, workplace violence in hospitals makes progress. Legislation in Florida would strengthen criminal penalties for assault or battery on hospital workers has advanced out of two Senate committees. Sponsored by Senator Ana Maria Rodriguez, Republican, would uh, make assault on any hospital worker a first-degree misdemeanor. Currently, Florida law defines the crime as a second-degree uh uh, misdemeanor battery to a third degree uh, felony right elevate the following uh, aggravated assault to secondary felony and aggravated battery to first degree felony and it would cover instances of workplace violence anywhere in a hospital in a published report Rodriguez said current Florida law covers assault or battery only in ER settings According to the data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, healthcare and social service workers experience the highest workplace violence injury rates and are five times more likely than all other workers to suffer injury in the workplace. Yeah, I believe it. MSHA leader announces stand down to reverse the deadly trend. Uh, MSHA Administrator, Mine and Safety Health Administration, had... Uh, Chris Williamson is calling for the, an industry, the industry to strengthen safety efforts. In, April, in an April 14th letter, let's click on that. Uh, there, here it is. You can go on the M-Show website. Uh, let's see here. 13 fatalities in the coal mine, in mines today. Uh, up, as of today, Wednesday, April 19th. Uh, an alarming trend that we have to reverse. So they're calling for a safety stand down uh, for this because you now they want to obviously uh, 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 save lives. So there's a stand down to save lives on uh, May 17th. We encourage everyone in the mining community to join us at a side of time during this week to give additional focus to the safety and health of our nation's miners. We will share an online toolkit. Okay, maybe we'll do something with that here. Uh, with that. Again, workplace violence, a big thing. Curving workplace violence in late night marts, new guidelines from NIOSH. A new guidance document from NIOSH, National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, outlines ways to reduce the risk of injuries and deaths associated with robbery, robbery, related violence at gas station and convenience stores. 
the ones that increase risk for violence are open 24 hours, open between 9 p.m. and 3 a.m. Don't offer employees robbery prevention training. Have cash available, have a history of robbery or other violent incidents, and are independently owned and operated. So, uh, four types of uh, violence. Criminal intent, customer or client, worker on worker, or a personal relationship. Again, you can be cited under the general duty clause if you don't do anything with this. Another story, worker wellness program shouldn't focus on weight loss. This is a story, all, now the last three stories have been from Safety and Health magazine. Employers should shift uh, the emphasis of their wellness programs away from weight issues and more toward emotional or psychological health. We talked about this last night with suicide here uh, with all of these uh, things. So, I you know, what's the company doing to help? What are you going to do? This is from uh, a paper in Personal uh, Psychology uh, by Michael A. Johnson on this. Uh, do these genes make me feel fat is the name of this. So, again, no, calling someone fat does not really help the situation usually. That's uh, what the moral of the story is. And we're going to wrap it up right there. And we're going to move to our outro. You have an intro. You have to have an outro. And we'll see you tomorrow. Whoops. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.